All right, I do have a short message. I knew we were going to have to go through this, some of this stuff, so it's pretty short. And it kind of goes along with what we've been talking about and the direction that we're going with outreach. And I've uh, titled it An Upside-Down Kingdom. Um, Jesus preached kind of an upside-down kingdom, not traditional, traditional kingdom where there's this hierarchy, where there's one person on top, and for sake of better terms, I guess <laughs> stuff flows downhill. So it's opposite of that. So it's not the worst is at the bottom and the best is at the top. He literally said the um, first will become last and last will become first. And there's a reason why he said it that way. And as we've talked about these last few weeks, uh, in John 13, 3, it says, Jesus knew the Father had put all these things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he establishes his authority as the Son of God. He is, he is he's saying right here, I know who I am. He's secure in his identity as the Son of the Father. He has all authority on heaven and earth. He, he knows these things. And as a result of this, he says he got up from the meal, took out his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel he was wrapped around him. So he says, I am the man. I am the Son of God. I have all the power and authority. And as a result of that, I'm going to demonstrate how my kingdom works. I'm going to get down and I'm going to take the lowliest place among you. I'm your teacher. I'm, I'm, I'm powerful and I have authority, but... My kingdom works differently than what you're used to. I'm not, I'm not going to let these things go downhill. They're going to go up. And I'm going to take the place as a servant voluntarily. And so he washes his disciples' feet. And not just he doesn't just talk about it, but he demonstrates what this kingdom looks like. Now, later on, or just a few verses down in John 13, 34, he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He says it three times. The love he's talking about is agape. We've been going over that the last few weeks too, which is a selfless love that says, I'm going to look out for other people's needs above my own. So what he's saying here is, I give you a new command and people are going to know what, they're going to know that you're my disciple. What is the disciple? A disciplined follower of Jesus. How do you know if you're a disciplined follower of Jesus? He gives you three times, he tells you right there, if you love one another. That's how you're going to know that you're a disciplined disciple, that you're a disciplined follower of Jesus is if you love one another. This isn't you have to go through this, these different courses and you have to understand all this stuff and completely be able to translate Greek and Hebrew. It means you have to have this Holy Spirit. You have to know that you are known and you are a son and you have to be able to share that with other people. That's how you know you're a disciple of Jesus. That's huge. That like complain, com completely changed my whole like paradigm when I understood that. This isn't about how much you can do for him. It's about how much he's already done for you. And so when he gives us this ministry of reconciliation, he doesn't say go and try and reconcile. He says, I'm giving you something that can reconcile. He's given you a spirit, so when we go out and we speak, that spirit goes with it. So he's telling us, listen, this is how we know it if you love, if you love one another. Uh, I was talking to Brian this past week, and uh, he said he had heard, he was reading a book, and he, was, he, was, he had heard a prayer that Jews back then prayed a lot, and even some current Jews even still pray today, and it kind of blew my mind, and it, it made Galatians 3.28 come to life to me, <clears throat> and the prayer uh, that they would pray would, would be, thank you, Lord, that I'm not a woman, thank you, Lord, that I'm not a Gentile, and thank you, Lord, that I'm not a slave. I'm, this is real. I, I'm no, no, hold, no holding back. This was a genuine, legitimate prayer that they would pray. Now, why does that, why does that seem like such a big deal? Look at Galatians 3.28. What did Jesus say? There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there's male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That makes a lot more sense when, when you see the audience that he was talking to, when we see the culture that he was in, and how, how demeaning, especially Jews in that time, were to the Gentiles, to women, 
and to, uh, to slaves, right? So when we hear Jesus say these things, we think in our culture, oh, that's nice. Yeah, we're all the same. Everything's good. We're equal. But he was specific. He, Jesus, Jesus wasn't playing. Like when he said things, he, he went straight to the point. And he said these things for a reason, and that's what we're going to get to right now. Most of you know this as the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, man, you want to look at an upside-down kingdom. He does such a great job articulating this in this parable in Luke 10, 25. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is it written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But listen how, he, how this is worded in verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jericho. I love how Jesus does this. He replies with a parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, <clears throat> beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his on his own donkey, brought him into an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, 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 whatever, two dollars. <laughs> America. <laughs> and gave $200,000 and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any expense you, you may have. He might as well have given him a credit card because he says, basically, I'll take care of anything he needs. Um, which of these three, listen how he words this. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robber? See how he flips it? The expert in the law replied, the one who has mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Seems like a good story, right? But we have to look at who is in this story. We have a priest. Who's a priest? The priest from the temple of Jerusalem, he was an important man. The priesthood was, was hereditary. You could not volunteer for it. A person only belonged if they were born into it. It was a closed, high-ranking office. Priests had an obligation to obey laws, which made them ritually clean. Oh, this is crazy. Um, ritually clean, suitable for service in the temple. And the, man, <clears throat> and the man at the side of the road, the victim, was, was befouled with his own blood and waste matter. This would certainly make a priest unclean if he came into contact with the victim. The trouble is that the priest was traveling away from Jerusalem, where the temple was, not towards it. His temple duties were already completed. He could have helped, but he did not. The second traveler that passed by, the wounded man, was a Levite. A Levite was a temple official from the priestly tribe of Levi. He was one step down in status from the priest. He had studied the law of Moses and the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, and his task in life was to interpret his, this law. He was, he was respected and responsible member of, this, of society, but he too passed by. Together, these two men, the priests and Levites, stood for the great ruling religious inst institutions of the Jewish nations at the time. We also know how much, we know now how much the Jews hated Gentiles. 
hated Samaritans. Samaritans were considered half-breeds. They were, if you want to look at a racist, they were extremely racist. They would literally travel days around a town so they didn't have to go through it. That's why Jesus went through and met the Samaritan at the well and then sent, sent his disciples into Samaria to buy food, I think was, was kind of a joke, but also to really prove a point. It's because Jesus was paving a way for them to see a way that they hadn't seen before. The reason it was so important is it wasn't this external thing where you get cleansed anymore. It was something that was going to be internal. So when we see this, this, this uh, priest and this Levite walk by on the other side of the road, he's getting to the heart of the issue. He's not talking about what they did and what they didn't do, but he's talking about what was wrong with their hearts. They thought that they were clean. And it's the problem that we run into even in modern-day religion. We think we're clean because we go through and we do these duties. I said duty. Duty. We do these duties, which are as dumb. It really is duty. We think, if you think about it, and, and <laughs> compared to what Jesus did for us, <laughs> I'm a child, sorry. Like 12 years old up here. I said duty. Anyway, so when we, when we think that we can somehow make, create this, close this gap as if there is one, we are saying that we're taking on something that, that Jesus didn't do on the cross and he did everything that we needed. So when we look at it, this reminds me of the story when we were in Honduras, when we, we would meet um, after we would go out on the streets and we would minister to people, we had a translator there. And uh, the way it works, and I'm, this may be broken, but basically you've got uh, public school, which is, is basically where poor people go. And then you've got, what was the next one up? Private school, then bilingual school. So it goes up that way. Private school is a little bit better, and bilingual school is the best. So what, the, what they do in Honduras, which is cool that we're connected with them because they're doing this all the time, and we just get to help them, is they would pull people from the bilingual school, which are the wealthy, and they literally go there for extra credit. It's not really about the, they don't, I, don't, I think that's kind of Jehovah sneaky because <laughs> I don't think they know sometimes what they're really getting into. They're going for extra credit to translate for us, and we're praying for people. Well, this story reminds me of that because <clears throat> there was one girl there, and it's one of the, one of the very vivid memories I, I take from that trip. We came and we met in a circle and we talked about the experiences that we had that day and they were all good. And we came to this one girl who was uh, fairly wealthy. She was going to a bilingual school and she was translating and she's just bawling, crying over there while we're all, I'm waiting to get to her. I'm like, I want to see what she has to say. And she basically said, you know, when we were in the streets praying for people and, and loving people, these were her people from her country. She was raised her whole life to avoid those people. And if you don't know about third world countries, third world countries don't have a middle class. They've got rich. They're rich people there. They've got rich and they've got poor and they don't associate with each other. They hate each other. And she said, I would always, same thing, she would walk on the other side of the road when he saw these people. She, she hated the poor people and she was taught to hate them and that they hate her back. And there was no gap there. And she came, to, uh, came with us and translated while we're feeding them and praying for them. And she said, these are my own people and I've hated them my whole life. She said, what's wrong with me? She, her whole, a lot of people's goals, especially in countries like that, is to get to America so they can have a better life. And she wanted to come to America and go to college. And she said, now I realize that it's not just so that I can have a better life, but I want to do something better. I want to come back and do something for my people. And her whole, her whole paradigm changed. Her whole perspective changed with that trip when she was just translating. And I see that even in this story. We think we, think we have it all together and we have it all figured out. But if we, if we look deep down in our hearts, there are prejudices that we have. And I include myself in that. Where we find ourselves in, in situations with people that we don't like or people that are different than us. And we may not admit it and we may put on a pretty face, but we have our own issues in some of those areas. And I'm telling you, when we, as we prepare to go outside these doors, you're going to run into those people that you disagree with, that you may have been raised to hate, that you may have issues with, or they, they certainly may have issues with you if you say you're Christian. But I'm telling you, 
In the same way that we look at this, none of that matters because there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor female, there's neither slave nor free because we're all one in Christ. It's a level playing field. I love how he says, who was the good neighbor in this story? <laughs> he's calling, he's calling, he's saying, you be the good neighbor. Don't worry about who you're supposed to love. He says, trying to justify himself, he says, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus says, doesn't matter. You're the good neighbor. You're supposed to be the good neighbor. You're supposed to have mercy. It's not about these people that you think you hate. And he said the same thing with the, uh, I love it, with the Samaritan woman at the well. She's like, yeah, yeah, I get all that. This Jesus is going to tell us when he comes. And, and we worship on this mountain and you worship on that mountain. We're separate. And Jesus is like, whoa, there's a time coming when you're not going to worship on that mountain or this mountain. You're going to worship in spirit and in truth. What he was saying is, and then he does say, I am that man. I'm the one you've been looking for. She's had all these different men. She's looking for security and something in men. And he says, I'm the one. And I'm not big into numerology, but there was five men and the sixth one she was living with. Five is grace, six is imperfection, and seven is perfection. Jesus was the seventh man there. He was the perfect one that she was looking for. Five was the grace that she had. Six was the man that she was trying to find some, some kind of life in. And Jesus says, I know that you've tried to find your own way, but I'm telling you, I've got a better way. I've got a well that never runs out. You don't, you don't need a bucket for it. I'm going to place it inside you. Listen, when, when you take the time to reach out to someone, and this is why, this is why Jesus said it. It's, you know, anybody can go out and love those that love you. That's easy. You love your enemy. You bless those that persecute you and talk bad about you. You, you look for opportunities to bless people. Bless those that curse you. You want. You want to get a new perspective on life and, and what new covenant Christianity and grace looks like? Find somebody you don't like and pray for that person every day. Find someone that gets on your last nerve. And I'm not saying pray bricks down on them. I'm saying genuinely, because I, I know how y'all be. I know how Christians be. <laughs> the, the whole heaping coals on their head, that was to keep their house warm, not to kill them. <laughs> When he says, when you pray for them, it's like heaping coals. They carried the coals on their head to go to their house so that they could keep warm at night. When you're not, you're not praying for them to, to die under coals, you're praying for them to have a, a nice warm house at night. When you pray for your enemy, genuinely pray for them. Lord, and here's, here's, here's how good God is. Be real. Say, God, I don't like this person. You know, they get on my nerves or whatever it is. It's, and this is hard for me. But Lord, I know that you love me, and look how screwed up I am. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good perspective to have. Help me to see, hey, help me to see, <laughs> hey, help me to see that same perspective in the people that I see. It says we now, we no longer see people after the flesh, but how we see them by the Spirit. What's the Spirit see? It sees the best in everyone. Mm hmm Yeah. The thing, the thing about Revelation is we, I, I can't teach you to have agape love. No one can. I mean, I want to, but you can't, that can't be taught. Either you love people or you don't. I've told you guys before, one of my greatest regrets was right after being saved. I say greatest regrets. I learned through all of it, so it's not all regrets. But one of my greatest frustrations that I sometimes still weep about is after I got saved and I was so happy and free 
and all the sin was gone, and I was a new creation. And then, man, I was like shanked in the side with religion <laughs> that said, okay, now you need to go get people saved. But what that did was it took, it took the joy away because I thought, oh, no, now I'm at a deficit again. Man, I was free there for a minute, and me and God were good, but now we're not. It's, like, it's almost like he took it back and said, okay, well, now you need to do some work. That's not how a good father works. He's God the Father, not the Godfather. <laughs> yes. Amen. Amen. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so the Bible is incredible and is so full of treasures and joys. But if you're reading it to get close to God, stop reading it for that reason. You are close to God if you have the Holy Spirit. If you're reading it to get to know him more, keep reading it. It's good, to, it's good to discover more about the God that you have. So good. The thing about agape love, if I, if I could draw you out an ABC plan about how that looks and how you get to that place, I would fall very short because I'm not very good at that. I'm not very organized. I barely can answer the questions on this budget. But what I do know is when, even when I was lost, I knew the difference between fake and real. And those first few years of me going out there and making people feel uncomfortable in Walmart were not real. It was fake. It was me trying to do something to gain God's approval that I already had. And, and this is what breaks my heart the most. I did not love those people. I'm just being real. I did not. I thought that I was on a mission and I was going to change the world and it was all about me. And I was immature. I was young. But at the same time, I see lots of adult, grown adults doing the same thing. Look at me. I've, how many people have got saved this week at Sunday? Do we want to see people saved? Of course we do. But that's not what it's about. From the very beginning when he said, where are you? It was about relationship. He wants relationship with people. Guess what? Relationships don't happen like that. Didn't snap the first time. Relationships, there's no, the shortcut to a deep and meaningful relationship is realizing there's no shortcut to a deep and meaningful relationship. If you care about people, you will share the good news with them. If I'm on a flight and I sit next to somebody, by the end of the flight, we're talking about Jesus and I don't plan it, it just happens. I try not to, actually, because I'm usually at work and I'm trying to talk, think and work stuff and I don't want to be too creepy or weird, but then I am because I'm creepy and weird, I guess. And by the end of the flight, I'm talking about Jesus. It's not because I think, man, God's going to be angry if I don't share the gospel with this guy. It's because I like God and he's great and it's part of my life and it's going to come up. And I genuinely know, I genuinely love people and want them to have the same experience that I have. That's it. It's as simple as that. It's going to come up. That's that's so much more fun and enjoyable of a life that he died for, for you to have right now, not when you die and go to glory land one day, but right now, that you can experience it right now, bringing kingdom everywhere you go. This upside down kingdom is not just the kingdom that you get to see when you die. It is, but it's also right now. Everywhere you go, you get to bring it with you or take it with you. Yeah, take it. That's my Cajun. I say bring everywhere. All right. That's all I got. What do y'all think? Good? Oh, we got hands up. Boom, boom, boom. Hang on, you, she's closest, so grab her first. Melissa. Not anything really, whatever. But I was just thinking, you know, the Samaritan, the most disenfranchised of the race over there, the mixed group, the lowest of the low, the Jews hated them. He's the one who showed the kindness. He, the Samaritan was a, for lack of a better word, he was a, a half-breed. And he had every right to, to not even care. And he's the one who showed the kindness of all the people that could have. Imagine Jesus telling Jews to be more like Samaritans. Ooh, burn. Be a neighbor like that guy. That's 
<laughs> he was waving. Okay. He wasn't playing. Yes. Damn. Damn. are the ones that rebuild the cities. Say again. Isaiah says the brokenhearted people that get healed, the, the broken people, God heals them and they rebuild your cities. Mm -hmm. yep. The Samaritan rebuilds. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to scare people. <laughs> people burst in here on you. <clears throat> I've shared this once before, but there's a lot of new people here. <laughs> um, long time ago, because I'm getting old, uh, when my son was in first grade, um, he came home with bruises all over him for weeks. And if you're a mama, you know what I'm saying. Mama Bear came out. And Mama Bear set up a, a conference with the teacher. Well, she happened to be a godly teacher. And I wanted this boy that was injuring my son to be suspended, punished. And she said, would you do me a favor? She said, would you just pray for him and his family? She said, for a child to be that violent, that young, there's something wrong at home. So my son and I started praying for him every night. Teachable moment. And the first time we did it, he said, Mom, can't we just pray for him to go away? <laughs> And I said, no, we're praying blessings on him and his family. But why? I said, because that's what Jesus would want us to do. And by the uh, end of the school year, guess who was best buddies? And um, all of the bullying, bullying stopped. Praise Jesus. But that godly teacher taught me pray for my enemies and it became such a great lesson to me so. that's awesome oh I love Jesus <laughs> the, the thing about telling the Jews to act, act like Samaritans I just I don't that's just amazing but Galatians 328 um, is it summarizes all the conflict that is destroying our culture right now. And so our answer is, we are all one in Christ Jesus. Our word, when, what do you think about the gender conflict? What do you think about the, um, what is it? Uh, critical race theory. Well, all this stuff, I mean, it's, this, I, this is amazing to me. We are all one in Christ Jesus that God loves us, that is the church's, that is our answer. It's we, not to take sides. It's not to start arguments. This is real important for me. <laughs> I, I like to, you know, I like to make comments. But <laughs> you, our answer is we are members of the kingdom. And you can be a member of the kingdom too. Just trust Jesus. Yeah, we literally have the answer to everyone's problems. Absolutely, and it is such a brief summary, but it is magnificent. It really is. Thank you so much for sharing this with us today, it, Justin. It's, it's also, it's interesting that it's not just out in the world, but it's, it's in churches, and it's my big beef with denominations. I have this this frustration with denominations because I, I don't think it was intentional, but it turned out to be more divisions in the body because... We don't, we don't need, this is my soapbox and I'll probably close with this. 
We don't need a church full of ears and a church full of hands and a church full of eyes. We don't need that. We need, we need different, different gifts in one place all the time. It, uh, this, I just thought about this. Watch, I watch documentaries sometimes. We watch this documentary about bees, of all things, and it's apparently the end of the world because the bees are getting all messed. We messed the bees up. <laughs> of course we did. We, we messed everything up with, yeah, we messed all the bees up. So the problem with the bees was, is naturally bees pollinate everything, and back in the day, people would farm everything, but now we've separated all, so we have farms of just this and farms of just that. And so in order for the bees to supply the correct things, we've, like, messed with them and, like, made them separate and go in these areas, and we're, like, flying them to Australia, and they're confused because they're upside down over there. It's an interesting documentary. Anyway, we messed up the bees. We screwed up the bees. I'm going somewhere with this. Do I? But the problem is that the bees were fine. They could go out and pollinate this diverse amount of things, but now we, we're trying to make them just pollinate apples, just pollinate these things, and that's not what they're designed to do. I see a mirror of the church. We're not designed to have just apples here and just oranges there, just the same way that, that he teaches us that the church is supposed to be full of different things. We're supposed to be diverse. You're supposed to be people that, you know, and, and this is on a very basic level, but it goes deeper to, to worship and do cartwheels and speak in tongues and sit down quietly and listen and teach and, and hear and prophesy and sing, all these different things come in different flavors and different ways. And we all go back to Galatians. We're all one. We're all one. We're all one. You have one person that is just worshiping his heart out quietly and calmly. And then another person that's literally doing cartwheels. They're both experienced God in the way that they experience God. Leave them alone. Let them experience it that way. There's, some, there's one person that wants to sit down and talk about Greek and Hebrew for four hours. And there's one person that can't spell Greek <laughs> or, you know, whatever. It's all Greek to me. It's okay. We, we, we learn. That's why iron sharpens iron. We learn from one another. Man, when I hear you guys, that's why I love that we, we try to have an open forum as much as we can without being too distracting. We, we, I think we're pretty good at it. We're, respect, we're respecting of others' times. We don't, you know, it all works out. I love hearing you guys say things like that because it's so encouraging to me because you guys have the same Holy Spirit. It's, it's, I'm not special just because I have a microphone. You know what I mean? I'm glad that I have this opportunity, but if I'm not here preaching the gospel, I'm going to be somewhere else without a microphone doing the same thing. This is, it's just, it is what it is. I'm glad that you guys, I hope that I can encourage and empower you guys to do the same thing, not just on Sundays or Wednesdays, but every day. So it's really cool. Love you guys. Anything else? Right on 12. Boom. I'm good. Super short sermon, small discussion. Nailed it. All right. Stand up with me. I'm going to pray for you. Got the budget done. We kind of know what it is. No, I'm just kidding. If you have any questions, see Nick. <laughs> oh, it is. Okay, the website calendar is back up. We're, the, we do have a website, if you didn't know. We had someone visit last week and, and was like, hey, you know your website's down. It's waiting for like some GoDaddy thing. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess we need to pay that. So we figured out. We got back in and in, in the process had to figure out a bunch of passwords I hate passwords. It took me like an hour and a half to figure all this stuff out. And uh, anyway, computers. Well, the point being, though, we got a lot of announcements, as everybody saw today. There's yes. a lot going on. Uh, we're trying to get a little bit more organized with things, um, a little less confusion with things. So right now, the central location for all the information is going to be the website. So. so if you go to the website, there's a calendar on there, and it'll have events on the calendar. And who to see you. And who to see. If there's some questions. Yeah, puregracechurch.com. Yep. We paid for, for GoDaddy, whatever it is. GoDaddy. <laughs>
All right, Father, we thank you. Uh, Lord, we thank you for, for this new life that we get to live. Lord, it's not something that we are striving. You say uh, the only thing you tell us to strive for is to enter into your rest. And so, Lord, we enter into your rest, and from that place, we have some things to do. <laughs> and so, Lord, thank you that we, we can be your hands and feet on the earth, that you co-labor with us, and you do all the heavy lifting. So we just go out, and we spread seeds, and we give the good news, and we reconcile in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.